Welcome to Season 4 of the Unscripted Podcast, a podcast by medical students about living and learning at the University of Cincinnati College of Medicine. On the show, we host a variety of discussions such as navigating the preclinical and clinical years, exploring humanism in medicine, and developing our physician identities outside of the textbook. Check out the show notes or our website for more information, helpful links, resources, and more. Please connect with us via email or on Twitter at unscripted underscore med. We'd love to hear from you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Unscripted Medicine podcast. On this episode, we're here with Trevor and Riley. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Here to talk about some once-in-a-lifetime exciting opportunities medical students might have that you didn't know about. Um, but I'd love to hear from you guys. If you could introduce yourself, maybe start with Trevor. Yeah, so my name is Trevor Stantliff. I am between my M3 year and M4 year. Uh, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, uh, but currently over at uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, which is right outside DC uh, for the NIH research program that we'll be talking about in this episode. Yep, and um, I'm Riley Ferguson. I am from Lexington, Kentucky, so not too far down the road. Um, I'm also in between my M3 and M4 year, and I'm living in kind of downtown Washington, D.C. area, uh, DuPont Circle, for those of you that might be familiar. Um, And I'm also doing the NIH research year, uh, which is called the Medical Research Scholars Program. Awesome. Thank you, guys. So I'd love to hear a little bit about what how you found out about this program and then what kind of inspired you to work with the NIH? Yeah, so I figured out about this program pretty late into the game. I was coming to the end of my M3 year, uh, was undecided about what specialty I wanted to do for a long time. I was thinking family medicine and I wanted to do 100% clinical work. Uh, And then I started discovering uh, my desire to to have a specialty that really honed in on one single topic. And I was also trying to, to think about, okay, how much research do I want a part of my career? I started seeing a lot of my mentors in infectious disease and in internal medicine do a lot of research as a part of their, their work. And I want to know, okay, do I want research to be a part of my career? So about three days before the application was due, I believe, I learned about the NIH's program. Uh, so then I kind of had a rush to get an application submitted. Um, so that would have been that would have been in the first couple of months of the spring semester of my third year of med school. I figured out about that program and yeah, just wanted to know, okay, what does research look like uh, in in kind of a clinical lens? And how did you this is the voice of Rachel and <laughs> the other cost. <laughs> Um, if so, Trevor, and I don't know, Riley, you can answer this question too, but how did you hear about the opportunity in the first place? Yeah, I, so I believe actually looking back at my emails, we got an email from, uh, I believe Jason Blackard, I want to say is his name. He uh, runs a lot of the med student research kind of programs. Uh, and we got an email usually every year about the program, but I did not read that email at that time. Uh, it was only looking back that I saw that. Uh, I actually figured out about the program just by Googling uh, and looking up year-long research fellowships for, for med school. And I was looking at ones that's that's funded. And I came across this one on the NIH's website. 
Yeah, my my uh, path to NIH was a little different. Um, so I think for me, uh, I knew first that I wanted to take a year between M3 and M4 for a multitude of reasons. Um, first, I had gone straight through from undergrad into M1, which I think a lot of people now take some extra time before matriculating to med school. Um, and I felt like there were a few things I just wanted to flesh out a bit more before I applied to residency. Um, I'm still not 100% sure even now what I'm going to apply to. Um, my mom always says to please pick a lane because I like everything, and that has always been my issue. Um, but I knew I kind of wanted to explore things a little bit more, and one of those things was research. Um, I had actually done um, an honors thesis undergrad in chemistry um, with quantum dots and single receptor imaging, and I had loved it. I loved being in the wet lab, and that's something I had really missed during my clinical time. And I think I had an inkling then, and I'm even more sure now that I want to wear some type of researcher hat in my career moving forward. So um, this was a really great opportunity for me to kind of gain the skill set of how to take a research project from A to B, um, considering all aspects, funding, grant applications, um, animal protocols, um, really having the year to dig into that um, and take that skill set with me forward into the future. So, um, but but I knew I wanted to take the year and. Um, I had heard about the NIH program in December, actually from a classmate, um, shout out Kirsten, who's also taking a research year, but doing something different. Um, she had been at the NIH before she matriculating to medical school, and so she knew that I wanted to take a year and thought I might be a good fit for the program. So I kind of heard about it in early December, um, but I wasn't sure that I'd get in. So I actually simultaneously applied um, to the combined um, MD and PH program that started this year at UC. And I was actually um, accepted into both eventually. And that was a really hard decision for me to make. I think both programs offered a lot um, for me to learn within a year. One offered a degree um, and NIH was funded. <laughs> so there were um, pros and cons about each, but ultimately I went with NIH. Absolutely. So I know you mentioned that this is a year that you take um, between third and fourth year, but you can you kind of talk about what the next X number of years look like and how this kind of changes the typical four-year course of medical school? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, traditionally you would go straight through and finish medical school in four years. You know, I thought I would be graduating in 2023 with, you know, Rachel as part of my class. <laughs> um, but now that basically just adds a year to the equation. So um, I've just joined the class of 2024. Um, that's actually one of the requirements UC has when you take a leave of absence to do an educational enrichment activity is that you sign on as part of the class below you um, and you get on all their listservs so we don't miss anything as far as academic advising, um, making sure that we schedule our, our ways on the appropriate schedule. Um, even though we might not be physically in Cincinnati um, to be having those meetings. So I think UC has done a great job of facilitating that transition uh, and making sure that we're plugged in with all the appropriate resources to keep us on track um, when we transition back to our rotations next spring. Nice. So just kind of um, like 
taking a step back for any like M1s or M2s or even M3s who might be interested in pursuing a research year or some sort of gap year, at what point um, would you recommend, you know, people start thinking about it, start looking for opportunities like the NIH or the MD, MPH? Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted to do a gap year earlier in my third year, but I didn't figure out exactly what until later. And, and I would say if whenever you get that inkling that, that you want to do uh, an educational experience that is between your third and fourth year, and, and some students also do years between their second and third year of med school as well. So it really just depends on when that interest develops. I would be hard pressed to say there's a time where it's too late, but there's a the closer you get to that deadline of when you need to go, the, it's going to be a lot more stressful of an experience. So actually on Med One Stop, there is a kind of timeline for a leave of absence. So it's a leave of absence timeline, and it gives you a good kind of rundown when to complete all the steps. Because there's actually quite a few steps that you have to take in order to take a leave of absence. You have to talk with the financial aid department. You have to talk with uh, the dean of students and, and so on. So there is quite a few things to do. So the longer you put it off, uh, the more you'll have to do in a short amount of time. But I would say just start exploring things early. I was looking at research years, actually probably my second year of med school, even if it was just a, a year and a half out, just to see, okay, was this something I was interested in? But of course I didn't figure out about this program until just a couple months before I was supposed to start the program. So they do the admission, I mean, not admissions, the uh, Department of Student Affairs will work with you if you have a shortened timeline. If you just figure out about a program you really love, uh, just go ahead and schedule a meeting and see, is this still a viable opportunity? I wanted to say that I think it's important to note that um, the program that we're in at NIH, they also accept M2s. So there's actually a percentage of our class that's in between their M2 and M3 year. Personally, I find it very valuable that I have the clinical rotations under my belt um, already. I, I prefer to take it after my M3 year, but they will accept those students if you feel really strongly. Uh, there's actually an offshoot of the NIH program too that's called OxCam Scholars where you can apply for an additional year and actually get a PhD from Oxford um, kind of in, com in combination with NIH. So that's kind of another whole step further. Um, but just know that kind of those opportunities exist. And if you feel really inclined or interested, even at M1, M2, you know, it's, it's never too early to look either. So um, just know when your interest peaks, talk to administration <laughs> and they'll help you. Definitely. Um, and I know, Riley, you talked about earlier how this opportunity kind of allows you to explore that research hat you want to take on in your career in the future. Um, but do you guys feel like this opportunity changes your career prospects or residency prospects in any other ways? Yeah, I, th I think so. Um, so one, you get to, by doing a full research year, you get to really delve into something a little more specific. Um, we know med school is a lot of information in a very quick time span. So by me taking this research here, I get to actually dive deep into a field that I potentially want to do residency in. Like I mentioned before, I was still a little bit unsure about what specialty I wanted to do. So this year allows me to be able to focus in on, I, I'm in an infectious disease lab. So I get to work with infectious disease clinicians, with researchers, 
And then setting up for residency program, there's a, a whole bunch of uh, internal med residency programs where you do two years IM residency, uh, two years of funded research, and then two years of fellowship all in one program. And those are really only open to students who have shown a strong commitment to research. So I know that this program will allow me to be competitive for those programs where else I, I may not have been as competitive. Uh, so now that those doors open if I choose to spend more time doing research or in residence. Absolutely, I agree with um, all of that. I think it's you know no secret that um, for better or for worse, the matches and numbers game um, as far as like number of publications and all that. And um, I think that's certainly an element of taking a research year, but I found the most helpful thing about this was even before I actually got on the research year, as I traveled through the spring of my M3 year, having the mental weight of having to prepare everything in the next six months off my mind was enormous. It allowed me to kind of take a more relaxed approach when I was planning step two. Um, I, you know, went home. I was able to spend some time with my family first, kind of take dedicated at a more relaxed pace, take step two um, on my own schedule rather than trying to cram it in between a ways. And I feel like I was able to fully engage with my spring rotations um, in a, uh, I guess, more excited or truly purely academic way than kind of feeling the pressure of my ERAS application coming in six months. So um, yeah, of course, like the the research experience is, is of course inherent in the year, but it's all those kind of softer parts of this that I wasn't expecting where I kind of get the mental freedom that have been absolutely amazing. So um, that, that's definitely part of this equation as well. And another thing I would like to mention is just to take a step back and, and this program specifically so we're at the National Institute of Health, which is the leading kind of re research infrastructure in the US. So I think a really unique uh, experience in this program particularly is we get to work with a lot of the, the top scientists and, and clinicians in the field that, that we're researching in. So for example, the, the guy who discovered hepatitis C is in NIAD. And then obviously we have like Dr. Fauci, who's my lab section head, who's there too. So like we get to make uh, connections with people who are pioneering in their field. And this presents a lot of networking opportunity and mentoring opportunity and just chatting and getting coffee and getting advice that, that will probably quite drastically shape how I pursue my future medical slash research career, as well as advice on, on residency as well. Definitely. Well, I feel like we've talked kind of around the elephant in the room for a while now. Um, you guys are both at the NIH, but can you tell us a little bit about what you guys are working on? Yeah, so I can start. Um, so my project is a little niche, but I love it. So um, I'm working at the National Eye Institute in the retinal physiology section um, with my PI, Dr. Wei Li. Um, and I am investigating a pathology that I had some exposure to um, during my SpaceX rotation, which is SANS or spaceflight associated neuroocular syndrome, um, which is essentially um, a type of visual loss that happens in astronauts after they have uh, long-term exposure to microgravity. 
So um, I'm essentially replicating microgravity using an, an analog um, in both mice and squirrel animal models. So I've um, spent a lot of time like on CAD and 3D printing these um, hind limb unloading apparatuses as um, cage modifications. And I can essentially replicate microgravity um, for up to six months in these animals. Um, and then I'm able to um, collect the retinas and look at how the ganglion cells and have the transcriptomics of the retina have changed in response to this microgravity exposure. Um, so this is an idea that I had kind of before coming to my research year, and um, I looked for this lab specifically for its capability um, to be able to perform these experiments. There wasn't really anybody else doing space medicine at NIH in this capacity, but um, I came with my idea, and my lab has been more than supportive in helping me write the protocols, um, set up all of the lab design, get trained in the techniques as far as retinal dissection, immunology, um, staining, and uh, using this the scope to kind of take this experiment from idea to uh, fruition, and hopefully, you know, one day a manuscript, but, um, you know, still got a year to go. So um, uh, I'm very interested to see uh, kind of what these retinas look like, and um, I'm not sure I'm going to do ophthalmology, but I'm having fun uh, dissecting out some retinas right now. So. so I think I can confidently say that Riley's uh, experiments are the coolest in the program out of all 51 scholars. I only unfortunately work in normal gravity states, so my projects are probably a little easier. But yeah, so I'm... <laughs> So I'm in the emerging pathogen section, which is a link between what we call the clinical center, which is the research hospital, as well as NIAD, so the infectious disease and immunology branch of the NIH. Um, and basically, we, we look at new diseases, emerging diseases that, that are popping up. So uh, with that, I, I have quite a few different uh, things I'm working on in my hands in a lot of different projects. But my main project is with a little known virus called uh, COVID. And uh, you guys probably may have heard about it in a PowerPoint slide or two. But what, what I do with COVID is, is I look at T cell receptors. So we know B cells, right? We know B cells make antibodies and we know about the IgG, IgM. And we also know it's pretty inaccurate, uh, meaning that we can get a blood sample a couple weeks after someone had COVID and their antibodies for the most part, maybe maybe gone from their natural infection. Uh, T cell receptors are, are different though. And T cell receptors can actually last decades, they've shown in uh, some of the more common viruses, CMV, EBV, that people who had it when they were 15 uh, still have T cell receptor changes. Um, so we, we may remember a little bit from the first two years of med school where the T cell, uh, the cytotoxic T cell interacts with a virus antigen and then it expands, the clonal expansion happens. Uh, well, I look ex specifically at those receptors and uh, we, we look at, okay, if it's expanded after interacting with a COVID antigen, we can have fair confidence that, that this patient has been uh, at some point diagnosed and, or not diagnosed and had COVID at some point though. So this research kind of what I'm looking at is actually specifically in the tissues. And everyone 
else in the world has looked at it in the blood, but really no one has looked at it in the actual tissue levels. We know that there is uh, lymphocytic infiltrates in tissues, right? You look at if Dr. Lowry pulls up a slide of the heart and shows you all those uh, basophilic dots, you know it may have had myocarditis. Uh, and those are, those are T cells a lot of times. Um, so this project was actually birthed out of a 26-year-old male. This is a published case report you can look up uh, from my lab. And it was a previously healthy 26-year-old male uh, who, who died of COVID um, and had no risk factors and actually had COVID weeks beforehand. So you're wondering, okay, then how did he die? Well, he came into the hospital, complained of some chest pain, and then uh, within three days, uh, developed uh, a heart failure uh, with an injection fraction that dropped from 65% to less than 10% in two days, and then uh, ended up going into PEA, pulseless electrical activity, and, and died, and was started on ECMO, and, and unfortunately, unfortunately passed. Well, they couldn't detect COVID in the blood. Uh, they couldn't detect COVID in uh, like a nasal swab with our usual uh, techniques. And we looked at the heart and what we found was we found hyperexpanded T cells uh, consistent with interacting with COVID antigens filling the heart. So the heart was just full of all these uh, T cells that were reacting to COVID or thought they were reacting to COVID and it ended up causing them to have um, heart failure. So my main project is, is looking, okay, where does COVID travel in the body? And specifically, where does COVID T cells travel in the body? Uh, so I look at appendix tissue, colon tissue, lung tissue, spleen tissue. Um, so that's my primary project. And then I also work on some stuff with monkeypox. Um, that's obviously becoming in. We're trying to figure out how to inactivate it right now so that people can work without wearing the big snowman suits. And then I also look at uh, this lab has created the only monkey ICU in the world. So we have a monkey model and we put them in ICU conditions and we model sepsis and we can look at, okay, what type of techniques and medications can we give to save humans in sepsis, bacterial sepsis? Um, and we use a monkey model to display it. So we have week-long cases. We're working 12 hours, uh, well, 12 hour shifts and basically managing an ICU 24 seven for a week and seeing, okay, what type of things can we do to, to save people's lives who are having bacterial sepsis? And we use monkeys to model it. Uh, so that's pretty neat too. That's also really cool research. Dang, you guys are just like really cool. I know I was going to say, I don't, I don't think I have a winner here. They're both really exciting and interesting. And maybe you've convinced me I need to reconsider what I'm doing between third and fourth year. Um, but I know you both mentioned moving to DC. What was it kind of like working in a different city in a different environment, finding that year long lease, things like that? Yeah, so um, I think normally almost all of the scholars live like in Bethesda. Um, a bunch of them live actually on NIH campus in building 60, which is like essentially dorm style living. Um, however, Building 60 is under construction, so they needed a few people to not sign on. And I had a few undergrads, uh, undergrad friends in D.C. that had space, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I will come live with you guys. So I actually take 
um, the metro up to NIH every day. It's about like a 35-minute commute, um, which is a little different than my literal two-minute drive to MSB was last year. But um, nevertheless, it's been a really, really positive experience. Um, I think after COVID, uh, being able to be back in a city and walking around and um, just getting to explore everything here, you know, research world, you have evenings and weekends. So that's very nice. Um, And getting to kind of explore the larger DC area has really, really been um, a balancing and fun time for me. So um, yeah, that's, I mean, I did need to sign a one-year lease. Um, DC is a little more expensive, but they also provide for you with the program. And I'm able to afford DC rent and groceries um, and make it work. So it's doable. Um, And I think when you're choosing your research year, you should think about funding. This is a well-funded program, and I feel pretty comfortable. Um, But it's not negligible and something you should consider. Yeah, and I am a part of the NIH housing. I'm on the off-campus housing. So there's housing, uh, as Riley mentioned, Building 60, that's actually on NIH's campus. So you just walk to your lab when you want to go. That's pretty cool, but you do have to uh, go through a controlled access point anytime you enter the the grounds. Um, And then I actually live three minutes north of campus, uh, and I, I just drive into campus every morning. Uh, which is great, but I actually live in a house, which is nice with other people part of the program. The nice thing about this program is I didn't really have to do anything to find housing because I was just going to go with whatever they gave me. And I didn't have connections like Riley did into the city. Uh, So I just let them do it all and they take care of everything um, for me. And I just show up on day one and uh, move into the housing. And then, yeah, as Riley mentioned, research is the world is nice because you do get weekends free. So I was I do a lot of rock climbing. So I was coming back from a rock climbing place yesterday. And here's just a neat thing about DC is one, my rock climbing places, my brother told me because he has my location. And uh, he was like, dude, your rock climbing place is right next to the uh, US Marshal headquarters. And then as I was driving back, I was like, oh, that's the Washington Monument as I was just driving back to uh, get back home. So uh, anytime you drive through DC, it's just a beautiful area. And then you get to see obviously a lot of cool buildings and different uh, stuff down at the mall, which is all free. Well, for the most part, all free, by the way. So people from the program, just like every weekend, will go down to DC proper and and spend some time doing some really cool things. You can't get those kind of views in Cincinnati. (laughs) Unfortunately not. (laughs) I do miss Cincinnati though. Especially Brown Bear Bakery. I have yet to find an equal bakery in D.C., I will say. Have you gone to Call Your Mother Deli? A little too much. I've been there a little (laughs) too much. (laughs) I follow them on Instagram, and I don't even eat bagels that frequently, but I really want their bagels because they look so good, and I want there to be a bagel place equivalent here in Cincinnati like that. Yeah, they, they park their trolley, like, outside NIH gates so they really know what they're doing like I it Mm -hmm. really takes willpower to pull over like every day and get their bagels but um I'll bring you some back next time I visit Rachel thank you I appreciate it (laughs) um so 
You guys have mentioned, um, you know, a lot about the benefits of being in this program regarding your career and your future. Um, but will you, or what is the like main thing that you guys are hoping to get out of this this program because obviously it's a year long you come back to Cincinnati after that to finish med school in this year that you're in the NIH what kinds of things are you hoping to get out of it um for me um I think the main thing that this year is offering me is clarity I think as I said I, I didn't take time before medical school and you have the whole rest of your life to be a doctor working whatever specialty you choose. And I think I just needed to take that extra moment, that extra breath before I really could dive in confidently um, and and feel that this was for sure the decision for me as far as specialty choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think all of the other things that I am getting as a product of that decision have been amazing. Like. I've read six books. Like, what? I, I haven't read a book in, like, the past three years before this, you know? Um, like, for fun. Like, books for fun. I know. What a concept. But, um, like, I've been running a ton. Um, I have been flying a ton. Um, just, like, really picking back up on old hobbies that I really didn't get to pay quite the same amount of attention to during preclinical and, and, and in three year. So um, I really feel like I'm kind of reconnecting with all of those things um, getting to put myself in the headspace of where I was before I entered medical school with what I know now and making sure I still feel really, really 100% about the decisions I'm making. And I do. That's been the great thing. It's been really reconfirming to me. I really miss seeing patients. I really miss the OR. Um, I'm getting great research experience, but um, I'm really excited to come back next year with all of this new skill set and knowledge and kind of take it on again anew. So I think clarity is my word. Yeah, I think that was really great and and similar to what I'm hoping to get out because uh, as Riley was mentioning, the the specialty you choose is, is a daunting task because it's one that will shape or has the potential to shape your whole career. And I came in the third year uncertain of what I wanted to do. And uh, here's also a, a little hint. A year is not a long time. So a year is a, is a short time. So I, I knew I wanted to take that short time to really clarify what I wanted to do. And that also sets my research expectations, right? Uh, we know that, that research takes a long time. And this year, I probably won't, let's say, get 10, 12 publications out because that's just unreasonable. Uh, but I'll be able to have my hand in a lot of cool things. I'll be able to get mentored by leading scientists and clinicians, be able to figure out what I want to base my research career on, uh, even if I don't necessarily uh, get, let's say, a nature publication in a year. Uh, but I'll be able to, to see what the research process is like that will shape the rest of, of my career in medicine. And then also, yes, the third year is tough. Uh, and, and we know that it's a lot of hours and when you're not in the hospital, you're studying and I, I needed to take a step back and one, I really wanted to hone in on a certain, like a specific topic. I felt like I was learning so much about this and that, like developmental milestones on one hand. And then I had to learn about incomplete spinal cord injuries on the other hand, just like very completely different things. So 
but this year allows me, I'm really honing in on, on infectious disease and critical care medicine. And I actually get to uh, learn as my interests kind of guide me. So I I've, can read studies that are recently published, even though it's not anything to do with my research or anything I may even see, but it's just something I'm interested in. So just that, that time to where I get to focus on the things I love about medicine, the things I love about research and the topics I just want to know more about without having to worry about a deadline or a shelf exam. Yeah, that's really cool. I think you guys bring up a lot of good points about, you know, the benefits of being able to slow down a little bit and learn how research works and also like learn how to read literature. Like the rest of our experience after med school um, outside of like intermittent didactics is going to be self-education through reading up-to-date literature. And I think learning to do that properly and like setting the routine for yourself of like, okay, every morning, every Sunday morning, I'm going to read like the latest JAMA article that came out or something like that, I think is like a good habit to establish. Um, I also, Trevor, I really like what you said about um, kind of like honing in on like one specific thing in medicine and in research, because like you said, in third year and in medical school, it's very easy to get overwhelmed by the just sheer breadth of knowledge that you're supposed to know. And so being able to kind of flip the switch and like kind of get into the nitty gritty details of like something very particular um, is also a really good skill to have and thing to practice. So I am envious that you guys are able to do that for your research. Um, And I think that it's something that people can probably um, you know, be more mindful about moving forward. But, you know, I just think it's important to say too, I think you alluded to this earlier, Rachel, like a lot more programs now are considering research as part of residency too. So even if you do gen surge, you could like take the two years to research in the middle. There's a lot of more tracks where you apply specifically with a research tilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, for me, I am much more interested in those tracks now because it's kind of this, mm-hmm. it gives you this almost alternating lifestyle where you can really go in, engage with the clinical medicine, and then maybe take a step back for a little bit and think really deeply about these questions or hone in on something, as you said, Trevor. Um, and I really like um, having that balance. So I think more and more there are opportunities, not only after M3 year, but throughout residency, throughout fellowship, and then as an attending to kind of take this time. So look look mm-hmm. for the opportunities. They'll be there the whole way. Yeah, and one other quick thing to mention too is, is with that, like as a physician, all of us listening uh, to this podcast will be an investigator, right? We will be taking a, a patient and we won't know what's going on. We will order lab values. We'll do a physical exam and we'll investigate to see what's going on. And there's going to be times when you've come upon something no one has ever seen before, whether it's a new disease or a, a, a known disease in a unique patient. And you need to tell people about it because it will shape how they treat similar patients. And if you're unable to write about it and to put that out in the literature, uh, then no one will know about it. So I think that the great thing is even if you do 100% clinical work, taking the time to learn, okay, how do you write about a case report? How do you write something that you've seen in your practice so that it can influence 
how other physicians take care of similar patients. And I think this program allows us to do uh, a lot of that, a lot of writing, a lot of journal club presentations that, that we get to do. And, and we get to learn how do you put stuff out there for others to read and learn from. I love that perspective. I wish someone like talked to me about research with that perspective in like undergrad. I feel like even back then, I never really understood at that point the draw besides at that, you know, in undergrad, just putting it on your resume. Um, but I think there's so, so much more to it. And I really appreciate that perspective as well. Moving on to some advice for students. Everyone listening, I'm sure, is now as excited about this as we are. Um, what do you wish you would have known earlier about pursuing a research year, um, if anything at all? I will say I felt like pretty comfortable with my timeline of when I decided, which I think that was over holiday break. When I said, okay, I'm going to take the year one way or the other. I'm going to figure out the program. Um, and that felt like a really comfortable cadence. I didn't need to know any earlier than that. Um, I think the best thing that I gave myself throughout the process was kind of considering all of my options. So I looked at this program, I looked at the MPH, and then I also looked at working in labs at UC, which is another option as well. So there are people from my class who are doing that as well and just kind of working with a PI there and the department. And there's a lot of things to be said for that as well. So I think just like November, December time, really start considering what this year might look like. Start Googling reach out to people in the classes above you or people who have taken this path. We're all like super excited to talk to talk about it. So, you know, just email people um, or reach out to one of us um, and we'll be more than happy to help. Uh, the administration is actually very helpful in matching you with a opportunity if you express the desire as well. Yeah, mine's briefly uh, similar to that. And it's also to, to have mentors that you look up to. Um, whether it's uh, physicians that you see that, that are doing stuff you want to see yourself doing uh, as, a, as a physician. But I know I had a mentor in the infectious disease department at UC who I got to go to when I learned about this program. And again, I learned about it like three days before it was due. So he also quickly wrote me a letter as well. But he, him and I got to have like an emergency meeting and we talked about it and he asked me, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. And we got to talk about the pros and the cons about this type of program. And I, I just highly regard him as someone who influenced this decision for me. And I'm really thankful. And he still keeps in touch with me uh, as I'm during, doing the program, probably because he also wants me to, to continue doing research at UC during residency. But, but yeah, so find someone that is a good mentor who you can talk to about different programs and about what you're interested in. You're not in medical school alone. We have a, a nice, robust uh, faculty and staff here that, that love teaching and, and love mentoring students. Yeah, I think that gives a really good um, general like timeline of you know when students should start thinking about what they're going to do if they want to take a gap year and I think that you guys provided some good thoughts on resources like um, you know googling um, opportunities that exist out there and then also um, you had mentioned previously in the episode um, some 
there's a, a resource on Med One Stop, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, outside of, you know, what advice you guys just gave, do you have any resources that you would recommend or that you found helpful while researching programs? Actually, funnily enough, one of the first things that put this thought into my head was the unscripted research podcast from like 2020, which I had listened mm-hmm. to. And I heard I heard them talk about it at that time. And I thought, okay, I could kind of see that for myself. And that was pretty early on. I think that was, yeah, in, in, like halfway through in one year. And um, I think, you know, if this sounds like something exciting to you, there are lots of people at UC. Um, so I would say reach out to them, talk to them. Um, and Unscripted is a great resource. There are prior research year episodes that I think are still mm-hmm. relevant. Um, so scroll back through and look at those. Um, they set me on this path. And um, yeah, I think that's what I've got. I think I want to say AMA has a website. Um, maybe it's AMA, maybe it's AAMC. Uh, I can find the link and you guys can put in the show notes too, on research opportunity for medical students. Uh, so it's a list of uh, fellowships. Like I think there's a year long fellowship in urology research out in California and like these these ones that's funded too. So you can know about specific opportunities, even if it's not the NIH's program, there's a lot of opportunities out there and a lot of funded ones. And I think AMA keeps, uh, keeps a list of them, uh, but I'll double check on that. And then, um, and then reach out to the Office of Student Affairs, because if there's a program you're interested in and there's a student that's done it in the past, uh, they will link you up with uh, that student if that student says it's okay. Um, yeah, they will give you contact information so you can ask them. I think the best people to ask are people who's done the program before. Uh, when I was on my IM rotation, there was someone who did the MRSP program uh, who was a fourth year med student. So I got to talk to him a little bit about his experience and uh, that's kind of what pushed me over uh, to when I was kind of going through the app or the interview season to be like, yeah, this is a program I I really want to do. I also wanted to add, um, there are several medical schools that are required to take a research year. So I'm thinking like Duke, Cleveland Clinic, um, and those students and those administrations are very well attuned to which opportunities are available. So um, this, is, this is something I wish I had known about. But if you are really trying to look for a specific program or an opportunity you have an idea for, reach out to somebody from those schools um, because they are going to find a spot for every single one of their students in some capacity or another. So they usually have a... Um, pretty good perspective on what's available um, maybe even more than our school does definitely thank you that's some some great advice um, and then finally do you have any other final words of advice for an m1 or an m2 knowing what you guys know now um, having been through what you've been through and gotten to where you are now I can start um, even if it's just one paper a month or one article a month just read something you love um, that really is what got me through third year too. Uh, I, I remember during my page rotation, I read this really great article on uh, familial Mediterranean fever and the bubonic plague. And you're probably like, how's that connected? And it was this paper showing that uh, FMF probably developed in order to uh, protect against the bubonic plague. Similarly 
with um, like malaria and sickle cell disease uh, that is selected for. They've, they found that patients with familial Mediterranean fever uh, don't die nearly as much from bubonic plague as those without that phenotype. So, so yeah, and I just really remember reading that and be like, wow, I really love infectious disease and immunology. And uh, even if it was just during like my PG rotation had nothing to do with the rotation, uh, just reading that is like, oh yeah, this is like why I'm in medicine. Yeah, I think I would say, well, a few things. First of all, stay curious. Like there's so much out there. Medicine is a giant, giant field. Um, maybe what you're looking for, what you're interested in, isn't in your class or your school, but maybe it's out there and, and don't be afraid to cold email people and kind of look for the specific intersection that, that is interesting to you. So I think that that's, that's number one. Um, two, rely on your friends. Uh, they'll get you through everything. Uh, UC is a great community um, and I've been so happy and lucky to have the friends that I've had moving through medical school. Like they really are family. Um, and then third, always keep a cliff bar on you on rotations. <laughs> you never know. That's amazing advice. It's yeah. <laughs> so you true. Just, you need one in your pocket always. So that's it's a good life. It's a good life rule in general to always carry snacks. Snacks. Yeah, you need a lot of snacks, which is part of it. So <laughs> pretty important. We need Cliff Cliff to sponsor us now. Yeah, this episode is sponsored by Cliff Bars. <laughs> I wish that would be amazing. <laughs> we can be like the Cliff Bar ambassadors for the school. Give everyone Cliff Bars for their rotations. That'd be really cool. We should look into that. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for spending the evening with us and telling us all about your amazing research over at the NIH. Um, we we miss you. We, we can't wait for you guys to be back in Cincinnati. Um, but it was really great chatting with you guys. Thank you so much. This is awesome, and unscripted is awesome. So, go you guys. <laughs> Woohoo! Thank you. <laughs>